we are here to get Baze blasted about other things. I haven't been blasted in a good couple weeks. Let's do this. This is going to be two things that are going to relate together that just blew my mind absolutely. Uh, first, to start out with, Stephen, have you gotten the HPV vaccine? Uh, no, I don't think so. If okay, I did, I, I might have gotten... Was it out? Or was it like popular for men to get it 15 years ago? I don't honestly remember anymore. It's never been popular for men to get it. Then uh, probably not. If I would have gotten it, it would have been when I was going like into college. I still recommend that you get it, even though you've got the, the monogamy thing going. I recommend everybody get it because just get all the vaccines. Wipe out diseases. Yeah. Bill Gates is going to have trouble controlling our mind with just the one, right? <laughs> right? We got to get a lot of G5 chips in our body here. Exactly. The HPV vaccine, when it first came out, was restricted only to women who were age 26 or younger. So I wasn't able to get it at the time. Eventually, it, that was expanded to males, and the age was increased a bit. And uh, after, I think, two years, I went to my doctor and was like, hey, I fall under the criteria now. Give me the vaccine. He was like, what? No, this is only for girls 26 or younger. I'm like, nope. Check again, sir. I can have the vaccine, and I want it. And I got it. But, you know, I had to push for it. It has never been popular for men at all, despite the fact that men can also spread it. How do you think the women get it? Is there any downside to anyone not being a woman under the age 26 to get it. There is literally no downside for the people getting it. I think there's a great upside for society in general. The reason it was not recommended at first is because there just wasn't very much of it. Okay. Uh, they didn't, yeah, they didn't have enough for everybody. It wasn't that cheap to produce, despite the fact that when you got it, it was relatively free. That's probably why it wasn't making a ton of money. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right, so at least that explains, I was going to be pissed if this was just sitting in boxes waiting for for whatever young women to come in and get it right uh right. but but if it was the case so the shortage explains why they were at least throttling the distribution yes but they still have the thing where if you're you know a woman under 26 you're recommended to get it otherwise they're like eh you know hopefully if you're a rationalist you've heard about it and you've done it but like no doctor presses for it for the most part well luckily women 27 and older can't get hpv right that's exactly how diseases work <laughs> <laughs> they, they keep track of, of your age yeah the reason that it was for 26 or younger is because it is the hpv is so prevalent in the population uh it's it's estimated that 40 percent or more of all adults have it and so the older you are, the more likely it is you were exposed to it at some point and you already have it. It's still good to get the vaccine because there's a ton of strains of it. You probably don't have all the strains of it and the vaccine can help prevent it anyway. I don't know. It's it's good to get the vaccine. And uh, they just came out a few years ago with a, a expanded one that covers more strains of the HPV vaccine. So I know that, that this isn't the point of the blast, but as long as we're just being deluged with information, as somebody yeah. who hasn't gone to a lot of wild sex parties and has been monogamous for ever... I don't know what HPV does. If people have it and have had it for ages and they don't know they have it, doesn't sound that bad for most people, right? I know it increases the risks of um, cervical and uterine cancers, right? Yes, it can actually infect other places than just the genitals, and it can help the formation of cancers wherever it is. The, oh, boy. <laughs> the, this blast was inspired, in fact, by a uh, doctor whose father is over 60 and had a cancer tumor removed from his nasal passages, which may not have been there if he had been allowed to get the HPV vaccine. Damn, that dude fucks. <laughs> He got fucked in his nose. Well, I mean, no, it, it, <laughs> if, he, if he could have gotten it and the thing's only been available for a decade, that means this dude's been out. I mean, was... this dude may have fucked one time when he was 18. Well, then would the vaccine have helped when he was 40 and it was available or 45? Probably not. But the point is, the doctors have said you shouldn't get the vaccine to him. And I see. they're fighting to try to get it. That's weird. All right. I'm going to go just, just, to, just to stick it to the man. I'll go have them stick me with an HPV vaccine. And because it's the right thing to do. 
Yeah, it seems like a lot of cancers are caused by viruses, um, or at least helped along by viruses. And anything you can do to cut off an avenue that a cancer has is a good thing to do. Agreed. What this comes down to is the reason people are being denied or encouraged to not get the HPV vaccine, in, in some cases literally denied, like this old man is being denied the HPV vaccine, is because they want to use the vaccine for people who statistically are the most likely to get the greatest benefit out of it. Sure. Just like uh, giving the vaccine for COVID to the old people and then healthcare workers first. Yes, exactly. But at this point, there's no shortage of the HPV vaccine. So now, back off and let us get our shots. Exactly. If someone wants the vaccine, let them get the fucking vaccine. We're not, we don't need to ration this shit anymore. Insert the picture of uh, Fry, shut up and take my money, right? Yep. This was brought to my attention by uh, Chris Buck from the Substack Viruses Must Die. He is uh, a guy who works in vaccine development to get vaccines for against cancer-causing viruses. Total fucking hero. All right. Yeah. And he called this post, We Tuskegee'd My Dad, because it was his dad who was denied the HPV vaccine and who got the cancer in his nose that had it removed. And he is very annoyed by this and says, stop doing this to us. Let people get the vaccines they want. Uh, it's nasal polyp, rather, not a tumor. Uh, and said that uh, this is very similar to what happened with Tuskegee. And then this was not the main purpose of the post. He was saying... This is what actually happened with Tuskegee, which is why I've called my post, We Tuskegee'd My Dad, and linked to an earlier post of his about what actually happened in the Tuskegee uh, study, which blew me the fuck away because it was very different from what I had heard about the Tuskegee study. So I want to know, first of all, what have you heard? What do you believe is the Tuskegee study? Uh, my vague recollection was that it was from, I was going to say that fun age in medical science, that uh, the terrifying age in medical science where... Uh, people were allowed to kind of just do stuff with minimal to no patient consent. And my understanding was that in these experiments, they said they were treating people for syphilis, but didn't. Am I thinking of the right the right one? You are thinking of the right one, yes. So, so that said, I do think this guy's headline, while uh, nice and headliney, seems to be a bit misleading because they didn't say they were treating him, unless they did. Uh, uh, this guy's well, dad. Part of unraveling this headline is learning about what actually happened in Tuskegee, which is similar to what you described and is what I thought as well, but looks like that was not quite what happened. Hmm. Yeah. For reference, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment was an experiment involving approximately 400 African-American men with syphilis and 200 African-American men without syphilis as an as a control group. Oh, yeah. I forgot, started... I forgot the delicious uh, ingredient there that it was all black people that they were doing this this terrible science on. Yes. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's something else. That is why it is famous, yeah. Well, it would have been famous either way, but this, this just makes it, I think, extra fucked up. I don't think it would have been famous either way because in reading this, I learned that there was a experiment in Stanford that uh, also had white participants, which did, which did basically the same thing, which no one has heard about. Oh, dang. Okay. Well, mm, yeah. you know, it occurs to me, if, you're, if your name is going to be verbed, you want it to be a good thing. Being Tuskegee'd is not going to be a, a positive thing, right? Go ahead and uh, keep interrupting the blast here. Part of the fun of Blast is the interruptions. Yeah, you could do this alone <laughs> if you really wanted to, right? Yeah, I could. Uh, and I don't want to. That's less fun. Exactly. It'd be boring. All right. That yeah, said, yeah. please go on. Always blast with a partner. It's more fun <laughs> if you can. Uh, 600 men, 400 with syphilis, 200 without syphilis as a control. Uh, they were to be observed. Specifically, the purpose of this was to observe them until their death and then do autopsies. 
the reason for this was that at the time there was some uh, this is 1932 there was some controversy as to whether latent syphilis which apparently is not that uncommon where you don't have many you don't have symptoms after the first two phases uh or a lot of people don't have symptoms it's called latent late stage syphilis in the third stage about two-thirds of people just don't have symptoms and seem to be okay. Blood tests would still find syphilis in their blood, but they didn't seem to have the effects of, you know, insanity and dying and shit that we associate with late-stage syphilis. And there was some controversy as to whether what damage was actually being done to them. Was there internal damage that we just can't see with our 1930s technology of MRIs and uh, sonograms that we have in the 1930s? So they're like, okay, let's follow these people until they're dead and then do autopsies and see if there actually was damage that was being done that we just couldn't see. And this was back when the only treatment for syphilis was taking arsenic and other heavy metals. The interesting thing about this is that penicillin was discovered by Alexander Fleming in the 20s, but he didn't do anything with it and nobody did anything with it for a couple decades. It was just like, oh, neat. This mold seems to kill <laughs> off bacteria. I, I don't know what to do with this fact. Uh, cool. And it wasn't until the early 40s that people started actually experimenting with penicillin and trying to use it to treat diseases. It's, it's at least reassuring that now in the age of the internet, shit like that can't just sit around for 20 years. Yeah. You know, how long before that LK99 thing happened before the entire world was talking about it? Was it like four or five hours? Something like that. Yeah. It so, was not long. Yeah. It, I mean, then again, they, they they were touting what they believed to be a huge deal. So like this guy was just like, oh, that's neat. But somebody will notice, mm -hmm. you know, if, if the next time someone comes along with this, you know, medical marvel. Yeah. So, but what you're saying is that at the time of the beginning of the experiments, uh, penicillin wasn't available. Yes. The treatment was arsenic, uh, which itself is a poison. It has uh, various bad side effects on the body because it is poison. Yeah. I, I was going to say, if, you, if the treatment is arsenic, you know it's bad news, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they use arsenic to kill people. Yes. Yeah. Arsenic is what you use to uh, poison people that you dislike if you're an old lady. And it's in rat poison, right? And it's in rat poison, I believe. Okay. Or yeah. at least some rat poisons. Yeah. Anyway, the consensus was if you catch the syphilis early when you first get the infection, you treat it with arsenic, this will get people past the infectious stage and they won't infect other people with it. And then often it'll turn into latent syphilis and we can't do much about that. Maybe we can treat them with some more arsenic to reduce the symptoms if they have them. But again, the, the arsenic itself is very toxic. And there was a question like, is the arsenic worse than the syphilis is for some people or for many people? Like, we don't know. I just just to just to say really quick that is at least and I don't know what was going on in the minds of the experimenters. The fact that they're doing it all on black people makes me think that they were a bunch of assholes. But mm -hmm. given that the treatment was anthrax, I can at least see the argument for. Well, no, actually, they should have just done it fully informed. There's there's no excuse for that. So scratch what I was about to say, which is to say I can at least see the the reasoning behind like not not to sound like you know the thing we've all heard a lot over the last several years, but the treatment might have been worse than the disease. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if, if a lot of people with a late stage latent, uh, syphilis had no symptoms, well, guess what? Arsenic poisoning has symptoms, right? Yeah. So yeah. maybe it'd be better just to, to leave it alone. However, that's a decision best, best left to the, the consumer slash patient, right? 
that is exactly the point that the original writer Chris Buck was trying to get at with we we Tuskegee'd my dad. This is something you let the fucking patient decide. You don't say we're making this decision for your own benefit. The interesting thing, what you said about the black people, like again, there was the Stanford experiment, which included white subjects as well in the no treatment groups. Uh, and also, this is uh, I'm taking most of this from Unraveling the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis by Robert M. White, uh, published March of twenty uh, March of the year 2000 um they could not get white participants uh it was far less prevalent in the white population and there was a huge stigma in the white population where when they tried to get white participants people just wouldn't come forward they would not admit they had syphilis they would not participate in the study and also adding to this white people could often get medical treatment on their own whereas black people not only in the county that they finally did this um did the study in not only were they too poor to afford any sort of medical treatment in a lot of places they just couldn't get treatment there weren't hospitals that would accept uh black patients so the black people the black guys that stood up and volunteered for this were like you'll give me medical treatment of any kind at all sign me up that's much better than what i could get so you know it was definitely a problem of the racism that they couldn't get treatment and endemic poverty, but it's not like they did this to people without their knowledge or consent. They they got volunteers and then they just didn't tell them later on when a different treatment became available, when penicillin became more available. I thought they just straight up didn't treat 400 of them. They did just straight up not treat 400 of them. But didn't they think they were getting treated? They knew they were getting monitored and that they would get, they were told they would get treatment. So n- iffy. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely wouldn't pass the sniff test for like, so you're, I mean, you're right. Those are a couple of, of factors that like, hey, look, no one's giving you medicine. Wink, wink. We're not going to either, but we'll say we are if you want to come here and try and get some. I, I see where you're coming from there, but I, I'm not going to give them too much of a pass just, just for that, right? Yeah, they did get other medical treatment. Oh. Uh, yeah. In addition, they got uh, death benefits once they died to their surviving kin. There was a, a number of benefits that they got out of this. It wasn't complete just Nazi style style experimentation, which is what I had always believed. I I had been told that a bunch of doctors said, hey, let's see what happens when we let syphilis run its full course. We'll infect some black dudes and watch them die. I remember, I mean, that was was basically my thought too, as of, uh, you know, 20 minutes ago. This was at the same era where the, it wasn't uncommon for the US to be sterilizing people against their, not merely against their will, but without asking. Right. Yes, if they were deemed mentally incompetent. Yeah. yeah so a lot, a lot of weird shit was happening back then. Um, yes. All right. It was not a great time in our country. No. Or in any country, for that matter. But. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like the rest of the world was, you know, kicking ass at this stuff. But uh, it's it's not an age that we we should look back on proudly. Anyway. Yeah. These were all poor black sharecroppers that volunteered for this. Uh, the thing is, when they were you aware that there were African American doctors that participated in the study? No, but I might have known that when I first learned about it. But it's been a long time. Okay. See, I, again, also assumed it was just all white people doing evil science and twirling their mustaches. But no, there were African-American physicians doing this too. It was concluded when they were first setting up the study that like it was in the public interest. Like we, we don't know just what exactly is happening with the syphilis, the latent not asymptomatic syphilis in these people. It doesn't seem to be infectious anymore. Our treatment sucks. The, it's literally arsenic. It is of enough benefit to society to get the scientific knowledge that the possible harm they may receive by not getting the arsenic is outweighed by uh, the greater good of what we will learn in society. And complicating all this specifically was the fact that in 
some populations, specifically in uh, white men and white women, people who got treatment with arsenic, if they had the late stage asymptomatic syphilis, seemed to actually do worse than people who simply had the syphilis and never got any treatment for it at all. They had slightly worse mortality rates. That's what I would have expected. If, if you're otherwise healthy and you drink rat poison, you're going to be sick, right? Yeah. So one yeah. of the arguments was like, look, we may actually be hurting people by giving them this treatment. So let's just not do that and study it in a controlled manner and actually get the autopsy results at the end so we can see if there is something happening that is bad enough that it would justify giving them arsenic anyway. Yeah. And again, looking at it from, from today's perspective, I think that all of this could have been done with informed consent, right? Mm -hmm. You just tell them, hey, look, we look at that. We look at this now and be like, oh my God, how could they not tell them? And it, it just turns out that was actually really common irrespective of I mean, not, it was probably more common to not tell poor people or not tell, in fact, it was more common not to tell women if they were sick, you'd tell their husbands. But uh, mm -hmm. it, th this was just like the idea that your doctor would be straight with you was not a an established, you know, found fixture of medical, of medicine in the United States at the time. And so they, they weren't, they weren't doing anything above and beyond, you know, the, the, the base rate of bad there, it sounds like. Yes. And, and I always thought they were, that's, that's interesting. Also, interestingly, one of the, I don't know if this doctor was actually part of the study or if it was someone unrelated because this was, they called them syphilologists. Apparently there was like an entire medical practice dedicated just to syphilis. Uh, one of the leading ones said that one of his patients, a 50-year-old white man, had syphilis, came to him with like, oh, look, I tested positive for syphilis because there was a social program implemented in the early 40s to test for syphilis in men between ages 14 and 50. And he said if a when this 50-year-old 50 came to him and looked like he'd had syphilis for over 15 years, he told him, don't, don't take any treatment. Just keep on living your life. It would be worse for you to be treated. And it was a white dude. So like this was what they thought was the best in many cases. And uh, when the study started in 1932, over a third of the men or around a third of the men were already 50 years or older. And more than half of them had had syphilis. Uh, more than half of all the participants had had syphilis for more than 15 years. So most of these were like later stage syphilis. Now, the interesting wrinkle that most people bring up is that in 1947, penicillin became the accepted correct treatment for syphilis. If you have syphilis, you get penicillin, that treats it. Uh, this was established in 1947 after several years of people actually experimenting with penicillin. And uh, the Tuskegee people, the Tuskegee um, research subjects were not given penicillin. And that's where, like, I guess the major controversy comes from. At one point, we did get penicillin. It was deemed to be an effective cure, and yet it was not given to these people. At that point, I do see the the merit of pulling the plug on the scientific experiment, right? Because now it's yeah. like, well, now if we do find this out, so what? Or if we find out that like, whatever, the outcome, if they do measure the outcomes after a lifetime of non-treatment, they, they get to do nothing with that, with that knowledge, right? Because now there's, you know, rat poison free treatment available. Yes, exactly. Yeah. This is kind of confounded by a few things. I agree that at that point, you should be going out and giving penicillin to people to treat their syphilis. But there there are some confounders to this, one of them being that penicillin was extremely rare and extremely expensive, or in the early days, it was very rare and very expensive. When they were first uh, experimenting with it, it took over 2,000 liters of the fungus mold to make one treatment of penicillin for somebody. Wow. Uh, the very... 
yeah, the very first test subject for penicillin was a white dude in his 50s who had really bad sepsis. The treatment is intravenous injection every three hours for four to five days. They didn't have enough. Like, he got the treatment. He got significantly better, but he ended up dying because they just didn't have enough to cure him completely, even after they tried to recover penicillin from his urine, because apparently a large portion of it works and gets, gets passed in your urine and is still usable if you filter it out. Did you say 100 liters? 2,000 liters. 2,000 liters. Yeah. So, like, a, an average bathtub is somewhere around 100, give or take 25 or 30. So, yeah, I, I totally get I mean. 2,000 liters times 400 participants, you know, at the very least, they could have said, hey, the, the medicine's available. None of you guys can afford it. But if you guys if you guys want it, it's, you know, two cities over or something, right? Yeah. Eventually, they uh, found a strain of the fungus that was 200 times more productive at uh, producing penicillin. And a bit after that, with x-rays and uh, radiation, they managed to mutate a strain that created a thousand times as much penicillin. So that helped. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And they also inter uh, implemented like industrial scale use of corn ethanol, I believe, or uh, a, a corn a corn syrup based uh, alcohol product. Uh, I think it was called ethanol steep, which they used, uh, which made it much easier to like just make this in mass quantities. Hmm. So it did get more available and cheaper over time. Interestingly, between 1947 and 1952, penicillin became very popular for treating uh, a lot of infections because, you know, it cures shit. A little less than a third of the men in the study did end up getting penicillin, not because they were given it by the researchers or anything, but just because they went in for other, tr um, other problems and got penicillin that way. A little less than one third of those with syphilis and a little more than one third of the control group ended up getting penicillin in one way or another. Well, it's nice that at least at, at the time where penicillin, when penicillin finally became available, hospitals were treating black people. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it only took, what, 30, 40 years after the study started? 15. 15? Yeah. Wait, it, it was in, it, the study started in 32 and in 47 was when penicillin started being used in, a, in, in the public. I, I thought being used in public and being like widely available would have been some years between that, but uh, maybe uh, that is between the 15 years. It was between 1947 and 1952 that the big penicillin boom happened. Okay. Uh, and ap apparently, not because anyone was targeting syphilis, but just incidentally due to people using a lot of penicillin for other things, the syphilis rate in the U.S. dropped by 90 fucking percent. That's pretty cool. It just really hammers home to me how awful the past was and how grateful we should be for like the present that we can like I, I totally understand the insane sex negativity of the early religions if a large portion of your population goes out and comes home with these diseases you know and yeah apparently a lot of them survive okay ish um with some some crippling but like you want to discourage that and uh so like yeah no don't have any sex if you do have sex just have one person to have sex with no one else ever again for the rest of your life like I kind of get it when this shit is floating out there. So, well, thank God. one of the crippling afflictions you could get for, by having sex was pregnancy, too. So, they yes, also yeah. want to discourage that happening outside of, you know, explicit control. Yeah, man. Everybody keep up on your on your testing. Make sure this stuff stays stamped out forever. Yeah. So, how does this tie into this guy's dad was Tuskegee? Tuskegee Okay, well, uh, actually, before we get to that, the, uh, in 1952, they drastically reduced how much penicillin was available to the public, because then people started noticing penicillin allergies, not just things like um, rashes, which, you know, can be pretty bad, but uh, anaphylytic shock, 
happens. Some people are allergic to it and it's exceedingly rare. I think it's something like 0.05% of people who take penicillin will die from it. Uh, but that's not zero. And they didn't have easy tests for testing if you're allergic to penicillin or not back then. And they probably didn't uh, have so EpiPen standing by for when anaphylaxis was sealing your, your airways. So Exactly. Yeah. So it, again, it suddenly dumped back into, hey, you know what? If you're living okay with syphilis, maybe don't take the penicillin because maybe not great. And in retrospect, we can see that actually, no, the, the syphilis is a big deal. Even the latent syphilis has uh, some major health effects. And if you can treat it with penicillin and get rid of those, it's absolutely worth it if you don't have a penicillin allergy. Like all this stuff that we see from our perspective, yes, they absolutely should have given that to them if they knew that in 1947. And more importantly, they should have just like told them this treatment is available now. You can get it if you want. Uh, and they didn't. But that that's a far cry from what I had always been told that, you know, they wanted to see what would happen if syphilis was allowed to run its course and then just got some black people and denied them any treatment and uh, laughed the whole way. Like, I, I literally was imagining the Nazi scientists. And that is that is not the case. There was like actual people that got together that had um, debates like, is this real is this necessary is it for the greater good what are the drawbacks offsets like it wasn't great but it was a benighted time and they were mostly doing the best they could but also not caring much about um about people having the the ability to make informed consent because that wasn't a thing back then man now i'm gonna be that drip at parties next time this tuxkiki experiments come up i get i get to be the well actually guy and and uh, i know be like hey you know it wasn't as bad as everyone thinks let, let me let me next <laughs> right. argue about the virtues of 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 uh of um eugenics and <laughs> uh yeah yeah well hey you know we were doing great for a while and now we, we need a couple things to keep us unpopular right so <laughs> i suppose so we led the charge on on you know covid covid resistance and ai and now it's like well you know we get to defend Tuskegee as well. So, I mean, the thing is, like, I'm so upset that I was lied to. What can I fucking believe? You know what I'll do after this? And I encourage everyone to do is do five minutes of their own homework. And yeah. uh, it could be that the version that you read was like the most charitable account. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe did glaze over a couple details. Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe the ver maybe the truth is closer to the to what we were all told growing up. But it's, it's still thought provoking. And I certainly didn't know. Unless he made that stuff up, I didn't know half that stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely confounding factors. Yeah, I will link to the study or, or this paper that uh, was published in JAMA Internal Medicine. Uh, it's, a, it's a medical journal um, by Robert M. White. I will also link the uh, original article that brought my attention to this, We Tuskegee'd My Dad. And yeah, the thing, the reason he says that is because the primary sin, the bad thing that really happened for Tuskegee was they never informed the people, the volunteers, that penicillin was now available and it had some risks, but it looked like it could treat the syphilis and maybe that would be good for them. Like, you know, they, they could think about it and make up their own minds. Like they were never given that opportunity. And uh, he's saying my dad not only was not told about the HPV vaccine, but he was told not to get it. Uh, and this is yet again, doctors deciding for their patients what's in their best interest. And uh, I'm sorry, but I would like to decide for myself what's in my best interest. Fuck you very much. I like how it all comes home after that. Uh, because that, that's an apt way to put it then. It, that's great. Because at the beginning, I was like, hold on, that's quite the grabby headline. Seems like a little bit of overkill. 
then context. Now I get it. That's a good recipe for a uh, for a base blast. Dare I say myself? Thank you. He also his most his uh, most recent article is him saying, "Hey, why is the current uh, FDA vaccine board advisory saying that people under sixty five should be denied the updated COVID boost? This sounds like another Tuskegee thing. Let us decide for ourselves if we get the latest COVID boost." Because yeah, he is this, a, a doctor, and he's saying, like, I'm under 65. Are they not worried that I might infect my over 75-year-old patients? Like, let me get the COVID boost if I want it. Yeah, maybe this one's rare you know, or hard to make or something, you know, or is it just more of those uh, weird gatekeepy things? Well, uh, we, we've had, I don't know if we've had a whole episode on it in a long time, if ever, but I was going to dive into thoughts on just, like, medical gatekeeping altogether, but that goes beyond the scope of a blast, so... You know, this blast has already gone 34 minutes. I think <laughs> I think yeah. we should just make this a bonus episode rather than a blast. That works. So in that case, is there anything uh, you would like to say? Yeah, so the gatekeeping thing, I mean, like, is there any legitimate reason, you know, for a doctor to not... I, I, I guess my, my thought is, I'm trying to think of, like, what informed consent actually means if my doctor's a doctor and I'm not. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I basically have to believe what they're telling me and or go home and do a bunch of my own research um, and then come back and say, okay, I'd like this. Uh, yeah. so here, here's a not bad example actually. So, or at least uh, maybe this is some sort of a, a good intuition pump. I was having some pain and whatever stiffness and headache issues and stuff. I talked to my doctor last year about just getting some, um, steroidal anti-inflammatory shoot. It's right behind me. Let me, let me go check prednisone. I asked about that and she was like, well, we don't really give it out on like an as needed basis. It's usually to treat a specific thing that we've identified that it would treat. And I was like, I understand that. But if we think it might help and I'd only take it a little while, she's like, well, if you take it for a long time, it gives you these side effects. And I was like, what if I only took it once every two weeks on an as needed basis just for science? I think I pushed, you know, two or three times during that visit and was, you know, politely but firmly rebuked each time, which is totally fine. You know, I don't, the, at the end of the day, if I got sick, it would have been her fault. So I can understand that. So what I did was I took matters in my own hands, bought some online and mm-hmm. took it. And I was taking five to 10 milligrams a day, which is not that much. Some people take 30 or 40. My blood pressure was through the roof, like 160 over 100. It, it was it was bad. So I stopped taking that and felt, you know, that, that got under control immediately. I guess what I'm getting at is like, I had made the decision to do the science on myself, took it in my own hands to do it. I'm trying to just, I guess, paint the best case for like why a doctor should say no to giving you medicine. If she had said yes, and I got really sick or, you know, my heart fucking exploded because I didn't stop taking it. It's her fault. Legally, it's her fault. Uh, Reasonably, it's my uh, fault for for making the decision, right? I I think like if a doctor prescribes you something, then maybe they can be like, if they say, huh, this is your, this is the problem you have. You should take this. Then maybe they have some culpability. But if you go in and take it for yourself, you should just be able to get it. like I did. I were told. I'm sure I said on the podcast at some point when I was in Portugal and I got my uh, muscle relaxers. Right? Yeah, yeah. Super easy. Walk into a pharmacy. Yeah. I yeah. They were like, yeah, sure. You will feel less pain and your muscles relax for a night. Here you go. You should be able to get whatever hormones you want. You should be able to get fucking I don't know erectile dysfunction medicine if you want it. Like. Any the only case I can see for anybody being denied medicine is if it would have greater societal impacts, um, like an antibiotic that is not taking its full course, and so you breed antibiotic resistant bacteria. 
that I can see being limited because if we do have scourges of syphilis and all the other bacteria that we can't kill off anymore, that would be a disaster for the entire human race. But aside from that, let people take any fucking medicines they want if they're a legal of legal majority, you know? I'm a goddamn adult. Yeah, it's uh, I, you make a good point about antibiotics. And I just checked my, my highest number was 169 over 106. Uh, wow. Which if you look at all the charts that puts me firmly in the like, you almost should go to the hospital right now zone. It's, it's like in the you're old and obese and never exercise levels of blood pressure. And this wasn't me like stress. This was me sitting at my desk at two in the afternoon, just mm-hmm. feeling my blood rush through my body. <laughs> so, oh my um, yeah, the, uh, the antibiotics are a good example. I mean, so with that, what we need to do then, I think, would just be to change the liability around, you know, what happens to doctors if they uh, prescribe something that hurts you. Right. Yeah. Because because if I say I'd like this, you just need to be able to check a box. But then again, you know, I could totally see that if I'm if I'm just some if I'm less knowledgeable than I am. Right. And I go in there thinking this will help. My friend said it would help. And I just believe them. Mm-hmm. It would be nice if, the, if I if the doctor said, look, I really don't think this will help your case. But if you say so and then they just give it to you and then you die anyway. Right. Uh, right. I mean, that should be like a pharmacist job. You walk in there, you're like, I would like some ivermectin or whatever the the you know deworming uh, medicine <laughs> is, and they're like, okay, uh, do you know what the effects are? Because this is what they are. They might tell you like, what are you using it for? It probably won't help. And then you're like, yeah, that's fine. I want it anyway. And they're like, all right, here you go. Like, you you can get advisory treatments without being denied the thing. All right, I'm going to include in the show notes for this a uh, a link to an SNL sketch with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Um, hmm. It's uh, related to this, but I think it was, uh, yeah, it was for boner pills. Uh, okay. It's perfect. Because, cool. uh, yeah, at the end of the day, it's like, look, yeah, it's bad for me, but give me the prescription. And if it's The Rock yeah. telling you that, you can't really say no. So Absolutely. I, I, I wanted to touch on this when we had Yassine on, but I, we just didn't have enough time. He has an idea that all recreational drugs should be freely available and given out by the government. Like, you want heroin? Here's your heroin. It's free. You want cocaine? Here's your cocaine. It's free. Because mass producing that shit is cheap as dirt, pennies for a dose, and the amount of societal harm that would be eliminated by not having the black market and not having people doing crimes, basically, in order to fund the their drug use is, is just worth it. And yeah, some people are going to ruin their lives. You should have resources for them to help get them out of that if they, if they want out. But just overall, the, the net um, benefit is absolutely worth it to just give it give them whatever they want free. I think that's probably true that the net benefit would net positive, just again, given how big the global uh, drug trade is and how damaging it is to society. That said, I can't say for sure I would never have tried heroin if I could grab it at my local 7-Eleven and it probably would have fucked me up. Um, I suppose. I mean, I've I've had chances recently to try cocaine and I was like, mm, no, no, I'd rather not. Smart move. Thanks though. I, I, I hear it's it's good, too good. And uh, <laughs> maybe I mean, well, I mean, that that's, it, it seems to be a, a not uncommon report anyway. I, I plan not to mess with it just because I think I'd be liable to really, really like it. And it's, right. it's not like coffee where you can just keep taking it. So <laughs> I'm going to wait until the transhuman future where I can uh, take it without having to worry about all those other things. Yeah. Leave your meat suit in good shape. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, because this was Base Blast, I did pick this up in the middle of a work day. So I think I should get back to my desk. But shit. Sorry about that. Oh, no, yeah, no. I, will... I knew what I was doing hanging out this long. I just see chat okay. happening on my work computer. So. No, this is good. I appreciate it. All right. I'll let you get back to work. Thanks for uh, hanging with me. Sounds good, man. This was fun. Looking forward to chatting more soon. Okay. This failed Bass Blast was recorded quite a few weeks ago. 
in the intervening time, the FDA has come out and said that the COVID-19 booster should be available to everyone, and it has been made available to everyone. So that's good news, at least. I wasn't sure what to do with this audio at first. A couple days after Stephen and I talked about him being selected for jury duty, I called him back because I had some thoughts that we didn't have time to address in the episode. We recorded that call, and that went really long, too. I guess we're just putting these two things together and releasing them as an episode because it ended up being a whole lot of audio and no other real way to do it. So here you guys go. All right, Stephen, welcome back. I don't know where I'm going to put this. We can talk about where to put it later. Uh, In our last episode, we were talking with Justin when you were serving on a jury. And uh, the jury was for a maybe attempted murder. Dude was shooting a gun in the direction of another dude uh, in an aggressive manner. It was an attempted murder charge. Okay. I I don't know how you shoot a gun at someone in a non-aggressive manner. Very casually shoots. Oh, like Alec Baldwin. Right. That was non-aggressive. As non-aggressive as it gets. Yeah, exactly. When I was editing that episode, I was struck by a couple things. The first one being that... um, the part where you mentioned the guy was 30 years old. Uh, when you mentioned he was 30, like what I thought at the time was, holy fuck, this dude did this at 30. Like I, I can maybe kind of sort of see like when you're a teenager, early 20s, you're running high on hormones, you're trying to like prove yourself or something. I don't know. I, I don't like excusing behavior like that. So I would try to not take it into account at all. But like, on an emotional level, I could kind of see like, oh my God, fucking stupid teenagers. That's a terrible time to being allowed to make terrible decisions like that. But like at fucking 30, like put this guy away. He's just an evil murderer, dude. And I'm glad he's going away because you don't do shit like that at 30. You've fucking been adult for a long time. And then like you had the exact opposite take. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, when you pointed it out, I didn't really notice it at the time. You specifically said, I remember being 30 and I was an idiot back then. You're not that older than 30 right now, right? No, but I'm not that much smarter than back then either. So, <laughs> um, No, I think, I think I generally don't apply a lot of agency to people, even in situations where they're as agency as they possibly could be. Hmm. I don't know. You, you know. You, you, how did you put it? You said like he's, you know, he's a dangerous guy. He needs to be off the streets or whatever. Yeah, that's all. That that can all be true. I think it, it's partly maybe my my take on agenthood is linked to my deterministic outlook on free will. But none of that is mm-hmm. incons- inconsistent with what you said that he's dangerous and needs to be removed from society. It's just yeah. that I don't think he's a bad. Per- I mean, he's a bad person if the phrase means anything. Maybe. Right. Uh, I don't know. He's he's not the worst kind of person. Again, he's not somebody who you know went in there and murdered everyone in that house, you know? There were also two kids in the house. Um, Oh, damn. You know, so, like, I'm actually surprised they didn't get, uh, there were no, like, you know, charges on their behalf either. I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's stupid. It's it's about as dangerous as you could possibly, dangerous thing you could possibly do to somebody. Mm -hmm. But my my vibe, and I don't know if this was just my vibe from what I picked up in the courtroom or just my vibe on people in general, is that, you know, it was a stupid mistake or, you know, it was, it was a stupid, it was a stupid thing that he could have grown out of. Right. At 30. Yeah. It's never too late to become different. I mean, sure. But doesn't that mean that like at 45, you could also grow out of shooting at people? If you hadn't grown out of it yet. <laughs> so, so it seems weird to try to excuse it as an age thing. Then if you're like, yeah, you could be 60 and still grow out of it. I don't know. It, 
And I get it. You didn't do anything like that when you were 30, partly because you didn't want to spend 15 years in prison. But imagine if you, you know, on your 30th birthday, you went into jail and you just got out last week, you know, like you have missed out on essentially your entire life. Yeah. All the years that mattered. I mean, I think that's awful. I think jail is a rather shitty way of punishing people, but also don't shoot people and don't shoot at people. (laughs) I I no I, I totally agree. Like I said, I don't I don't regret that he's going to be removed from society. I regret yeah. that circumstances are such that he needs to be right. Okay. Like yeah. No, I mean yeah. I, I certainly agree with all that. Yeah. If, just, if we if we had some way of of fixing somebody who who had that kind of disregard for society or for for other mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. you know, through some magic pill or a cool psychedelic. And suddenly yeah. their their empathy is turned up to where it needs to be. We should do that rather than because you you know you said it's a bad way to punish people, and yeah, yeah. that's part of the purpose of prison. And that, I don't really I think I think the only legitimate purpose of prison is to remove people who are dangerous. Like yeah. it turns out not to be a good deterrent. It turns out yeah. not to be a good um, use of their time to prepare them to not be criminals when they come out. Mm-hmm. So like it's not doing it's not it's not punishing them in any good ways. It's punishing them for the. Uh, vindictive revenge need that people have right right and that's that's not a good reason to ruin a another person and b further ruin society people don't come out of jail better more often than not right yeah so yeah like i said though i think i i just don't give people enough um authorship of their own actions and that's probably a problem that i have and i think you're probably better calibrated there than i am so i guess it wasn't really an age thing then I mean, it, it's a bit of that. Like I said, you know, if if he was losing the years sixty five to seventy or sixty five to eighty, you know, let's pretend he's being sentenced for fifteen years. That's less of a tragedy. Just like the same way, it's less of a tragedy if someone in their sixties dies than if someone in their thirties dies. Ah, okay. Like just because they, he will have lost less life. I see. I uh, see. When I say less of a tragedy, I mean that only in the popular use of the phrase. Uh, to yeah. us immortalists, they're all equally bad. Um, yeah, yeah. Or they're about equally bad. You know, plus or minus a. Uh, Percent of a percent, right? So ideally, when we do sentencing, it'd be better to have uh, them sentenced to a number of quality-adjusted life years rather than <laughs> just straight life years. If if it has to be done in terms of, of life years, again, I I wish there was a way just to determine, if we're diving into it, there's a good example, I think, that um, I can't remember when it came up, but Sam Harris was talking about someone who's arrested for drunk driving. And say, say they hit somebody and kill them. And if it's the right kind of person, you know, not not the dangerous sociopath, but just the person who made a bad judgment call, they're they're forever after going to be the safest driver on the road. Maybe. I mean, but for a lot of people, that's like, oh my god, I can't believe I've done that. I'm going to take. I, I now understand fully the gravity of of what I'm doing inside this vehicle. You know, I'm never going to text. I'm never going to mess with my radio. Uh, you know, someone could get hurt, and boy, howdy, do I know that personally, right? Yeah. In a way, and then of course, there's the other unrepentant assholes who are, you know gonna drink and drive the second they get another chance to but it's like if only there was a way to tell which kind of person was which and Uh, also importantly i think the what everyone else sees happening is important too if other people see that someone killed someone while driving drunk and they get away with saying i'm very sorry and i feel terrible about it that's going to be more of a signal that like well this drinking and driving thing i guess won't ruin my life if i do it even if i kill someone yeah i i wonder you know, drinking and driving might be one of those crimes, but uh, like, because a lot of the, I mean, we'll have to ask, we'll have to drag Justin back here and ask him, but I don't think a lot of crimes are thought through with the repercussions in mind, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're drunk and you're like, well, yeah. I just need to get my car home. 
it's a, it's a fairly new development and it's not all that common where bar parking lots will even be a safe place to leave your car overnight. Yeah. You know, lifts are, are really new, uh, mm-hmm. Lyft and Uber. And so like ways just to get home without your car are pretty yeah. new. And so like, yeah, yeah. it, it kind of used to be like, if you wanted to drink, you needed to drive home drunk. Um, yeah. Or have someone that drove you. Yeah. I saw a interesting take recently on this topic that, um, the point isn't so much to deter, well, I mean, it is kind of to deter people in the moment, but less so, it's more to make people that will not make that choice in the moment regardless. Uh, the way I saw it put was um, when when there are a lot of returns to bullying, that uh, it ends up making someone's life better for whatever reason, uh, then a lot of people become bullies. Whereas if you make a lot of deterrence to being bullies, where it really ruins someone's life to be a bully... Like, a bully is still going to bully. That's just who they are. Those deterrents aren't going to change that. But as people are growing up, far fewer of them will become bullies. There there will be less of an incentive to develop those patterns of action and those habits of thought that result in bullyism. So despite the fact that you don't deter anyone in the moment from doing that thing, you reduce the number of people who are of that disposition in society by having these deterrents. And therefore, it is still a good thing to do. Uh... Can you rephrase that or restate it? I, I'm trying to make sure I followed it correctly. The punishment itself or the threat of punishment does not stop someone from doing the action in the moment. However, the fact that those punishments exist on a society-wide level and that everybody sees them all the time as they are developing as humans will result in more humans developing into people who will not create those crimes if those weren't in place, then more people would develop into the type of person that does create that kind of crime. So having those punishments in place, despite the fact that they don't deter any individual crime at the point of commission, uh, reduces how much crime there is because it reduces the amount of people who are liable to do those crimes. I think I fully agree with that. Do you, have you ever known anybody who's had to deal with a, the aftermath of a DUI? Mm, no, I don't think so. It turns out to be an enormous pain in the ass. Yeah. You know, it costs many thousands of dollars. Um, it can take years and years. And a lot of it is almost all of it is just fuck you fines. You know, you, yeah. you pay a couple hundred dollars to have a breathalyzer put in, and then you've got to blow that thing when you're driving on the highway or whatever. They don't care, right? Yeah. Um, and then you pay a monthly service fee to keep that thing working. And then you pay the another 150 or whatever to get it removed at the end of the years after, right? Um, okay. And it's like, whoever makes these things must be making a fucking killing because they don't do that much, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, you've got to pay other fees on top. Like, again, a DOI can run you five to ten thousand dollars just in fines certainly if if the only punishment was like a well just drive safe which i knew people actually in, in high school and college who i don't know some some guy i knew just had like the devil's luck i don't know how the hell this guy just he, he could just fall ass backwards into a winning lottery ticket but <laughs> I mean, he, he got pulled over so drunk that no and i wasn't in the car but I, I the way i hear it told was that he was way too drunk to be even reasonably like hey sorry officer i'm just getting my car home but he was yeah. like the cops just like yeah just drive safe Wow. And it's like, I can't, I'm way too drunk, but okay, sure. Um, yeah. If that was the only punishment people got, then yeah, people, I, I would, I might be more inclined to do it myself, you know? Mm. Part of the reason, main reason I don't do it is because uh, I don't want to get hurt or hurt somebody. And cars, yeah. even even if it's not another person, cars are expensive, you know? So like if I'm pulling my car into the garage and just hit the garage with it, like that's a huge imposition on me, right? Yeah. And, and no one else even got hurt, but I fucked up my house and my car. Um, you know? When I when I was really young, I was pulled over once for drunk driving. I was a bit over the limit, like not much, but I, I, just, I definitely was over the legal limit. And uh, I 
was like, fuck, 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 fuckity fuck. And the cop like pulls over, he gives me the eye test and all that. And he's like, well, this kid isn't really that drunk. And I bet like if the, if the punishments were lower, I would have gotten whatever the punishment is like a ticket or a night in jail or whatever. But like with the punishments being this high for a DUI, I bet a lot of cops are now stuck in the position of, do I think this person should get all this punishment for this sort of thing? And like, he took mercy on me. He was like, you know what? If you have a friend that you can call that'll come here and pick you up right now, I'm just going to stay with you and make sure you don't go anywhere until he gets here to pick you up. And I did. And that's exactly what happened. And like, that was super just amazing of him because yeah, I, I guess I shouldn't have been driving when I was over the limit like that, but that's, that's a weird position to have to put cops in now, you know? Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And that might be, I mean, it's a tough spot, right? Cause on the one hand, we don't want to encourage the behavior that where everyone gets one freebie, right? Right. Um, but it's also like, you know, you weren't being a sociopathic danger to society. You know, you're just being a little irresponsible. And yeah. if you really want to fuck your life up for half a decade and, you know, cost you many thousands of dollars. It's interesting. Maybe it's worth asking Does if, if I, I, I'm about to trigger you with a phrase here. <laughs> okay. I, I, I suspect there's some white privilege involved in there. And oh. Like, and, and, and it's a drag because yeah. like this this sort of leniency should be given to anybody who, you know, is in that sort of circumstance, right? Like the person I know who had a DUI that had the worst trouble with it, it was not their first infraction with the police regarding driving or even driving while impaired. They probably got a, a light slap or two on the wrist until they're like, all right, we're going to throw the fucking book at you and it's going to hurt. Um, yeah, yeah. But I don't know, you know, I, I haven't, I've hardly like surveyed the people I know, but I don't know if I know any black people who've ever gotten pulled over and told drive safe when they're a little drunk or like told, Hey, I'll wait for you to get friend here. I, I suspect that, you know, and it depends on the cop, but I think that, you know, a lot of cop culture too, just has some, I, I'm not, I, I'm not as remotely staunchly anti-cop as it is trendy to be. Uh, right. I thought that there's, there's downsides to the attitude and community that it builds. Yeah. And uh, I think some of that seeps into even cops who don't go in there with otherwise bad attitudes. Right. Well, that that reminds me of the other thing that I wanted to ask you. This felt like really weird. Like we just played the Is It uh, Ageist game. So let's play everybody's favorite game show. Is it racist? Arrow's <laughs> <laughs> our game show where no one wins. <laughs> yeah. uh, you said that when you were on the jury, uh, the defendant was black. You mentioned like halfway through the podcast. And then you said, I didn't want to be another person part of sending a black person to jail. Or, or something along those lines. It seemed like you were doing everything possible to be like, well, I don't want another black person to go to jail. That feeds into this narrative or whatever. So I'm going to be as as light as possible on this guy. Or not as light as possible, but like really going over the evidence here to see if there's anything we can do to to understand a situation and get him off. Is that not racist? Well, I think I, I would like to think that I would have given the same level of scrutiny to any defendant uh, or, or same level of charity. I would like to think that too, but like you, you had an, an emotional, like, oh God, I don't want to be part of sending a black person to prison reaction, which I assume you would not have if there was a white defendant on stage. I definitely wouldn't have thought in my head, I don't want to send a black person to prison if it was a white, if it was a white defendant. Um, right, right. But, but, you, but you wouldn't think like, oh, I don't want to be part of sending another white person to prison. No, you're right. I, I, in my mind, I did uh, clock his race as a it was an emotional factor i don't think that it yeah you know the way it played into into deliberations was really like his level of of uncooperativeness and you know straight up lying to the detectives and stuff 
I think there was a reasonable aspect to where it's like because because of his race, there there's a, a a level there to where some of that behavior is actually more sensible than if you were you or I were to do it, and we were also innocent. You don't think that's kind of racist? No. Uh, to rephrase, let me make sure I say that correctly because I don't think there's anything controversial about it. I think that young black men in America have a a very understandable disposition towards the police to say they're not going to be on my side here. You or I, if we're innocent, the idea of just like throwing our car into a junkyard is like nuts. You'd be like, no, I, or at least me, I'd, my, I'd kind of naively think, no, I trust the system. They'll investigate and conclude that I'm innocent. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not everyone has a good reason to feel that way. I I think. And I don't think it's racist to say that. I think the idea that, that whatever non-white Americans are targeted more by the police and that they're aware of that. uh, I don't think there's anything racist about that. But it's treating somebody with special privilege because of the color of their skin, which strikes me as racist. At the very least, it's it's allowed by the the letter of, of the instructions of, of our deliberations. We are we are allowed to bring in our life experiences and our our you know outside knowledge. Yeah. Um, it does seem like I I don't I, I guess I disagree that treating someone different based on the color of their skin is always racist. Like. You know, I forget what the name of the heart condition is because I'm not that susceptible to it, but but black people are. I for, or maybe it's a medication for some common heart disease or something. Uh, an alternative works better for black populations than white ones. Like, there's nothing racist about that. No, just, just but, like there's nothing sexist about me going into the doctor with a stomach ache and refusing to get a pregnancy test as a possible cause by stomach ache. Right. That's not quite the same as giving people different. I almost want to say privileges when when in a courtroom as to uh yeah yeah like they're being they're being treated differently by the law itself because of because of their skin color and by the law i mean by the jury i was gonna say yeah because importantly they weren't and and the jury you know it i suppose i don't know i guess yeah i I, i'll cop to that you know if if it was a white defendant and they had said yeah destroy my car um i would have taken that as more evidence of wrongdoing than if it was a black defendant, just because I think that the black defendant is understandably less trusting of the police. Hmm. That, I mean, you know, that said, it's it, it's not like we said, well, you know, he lied and didn't cooperate the entire time here, and therefore we think he's innocent, you know, um, it, it or rather that he's not guilty. It was just that, like, it struck us. It was, was one of the things that came up, because like I said, during one of the calls that he made out of jail, uh, he instructed his car to be destroyed. And that wasn't that, on its own, that damning a piece of evidence, given who the person was, right? I think that there's ways to play this without, you know, race being involved and other, and we could use other hypotheticals. Um, mm. But uh, you know, nothing jumps immediately to mind. You know, I don't know. I can't think of a good hypothetical right off the bat, but. I have a very interesting hypothetical, which I read about a year ago, which kind of, I don't know. I still don't know exactly how to take it, but I still think about it sometimes, which I think is a a sign that it is at least a very thought-provoking hypothetical. And it, it wasn't actually even a hypothetical at all. It was it was an analogy to something that literally was the case in the not too distant past. If you will travel with me back to, I don't know, 1800s maybe when we still had not we personally, but when some of these horrible countries on the in the European continent still had kings and other nobility that was around. It was the case that nobles were just considered to be better in some way that was hard to define exactly, but like everybody knew it. If a commoner and a noble are both trying to get a certain job or position, even if they look exactly the same on paper, you want to go with the noble because I don't know, there's something about them 
maybe they're just inherently smarter or more charismatic or better with people. They have more social webs, perhaps. A lot of people will just literally believe that God will sometimes go out of his way to make their lives a little bit better, to, to set things up for them because they are, you know, favored of God. They're his instruments here on earth. I think there's probably something just baked into the society too, that like, of course they're better. Otherwise they'd be peasants like us. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, did you just, you, you know, the nobles are better. You always prefer the nobles if you have no other chance. And similarly, like if people are charged with a crime, if they're a commoner, you're like, well, you look at the evidence, you look at what you have before you. When there's a noble involved, you're like, well, there may be some mitigating circumstance. Let's let's look at this extra hard because, you know, as a noble, he probably had a good reason or <laughs> or something. We, we got to they, 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 give him some extra benefit of the doubt. And like both of those feel very much analogous to... um. If you have two identical candidate, uh, candidates for a job, you give it to the one that has more protected status things that they can check uh, because they're just obviously better than people who don't have those. And similarly in courtrooms and stuff. And I, I, I just, it felt, I was like, I really despise the nobles. Like, I like killing kings and royalty. <laughs> and and uh, drawing this analogy hits a very distinct emotional nerve for me like hey why why are these people being treated as distinctly better than all the rest of us that's kind of fucked up i mean so and i know that there's places where you know they have a lot of disadvantages too but when a system is explicitly set up to to give advantages or to give people extra extra benefits in those ways i'm like why what what's going on here so are, are we still trying to analogize this to the courtroom because like we're trying to analogize it with uh, race uh, in general and other um, other markers of protected class. I mean, I guess I'm just I'm just thinking like you know a, a lot of non-white people show up in courtrooms for things that white people just wouldn't show up in courtrooms for because they already got that benefit of the doubt. Like I, th I think in that case, actually the 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 nobility analogy runs the other way. Okay. Like white kid gets pulled, you know, ten years ago gets stopped with some pot on him. Oh well, you know, give me that, get out of here, go home. Black kids mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, finally, Cracks Knuckles get to take another black kid to jail. Hell yeah. You know, like, this is a historical problem and a, and a current right. problem, just not with weed. Uh, but just to be clear, and I'm not, I'm not just tooting my own horn or or I'm, I'm tooting the horn of the entire jury that I was a part of that we I think we would have been at least as diligent, uh, as, equally as diligent with any defendant. It was particularly this piece of evidence. Did this evidence, given the, I mean, this is just you know, thinking in terms of priors and what, what counts as how hard should I update on this, right? How hard you should update on something does depend on who the person is and some, some relevant life circumstances, right? So is the idea that because the defendant may have suffered prejudice in being arrested, you should be prejudiced for him during the trial? I absolutely agree with you that that shouldn't happen out in the streets either. Like cops should not treat a, a white person and a black person differently if they find marijuana on them. But also, in the same regards, juries shouldn't treat um, them differently in the courtroom either. And I think we're talking about two different things. I, I okay. I'm talking specifically just about how how much the uh, the evidence of he tried to destroy the car that was alleged to be involved in the crime. How, mm -hmm. how much does that evidence update me towards he's guilty? I think it actually makes perfect sense for it to update me less because of his race than uh, if if he was otherwise if he was if he was white. Maybe I agree with you. I don't know. I'd have to think about it some more, but. But you, you, met, you met my emotional reaction. Yeah, your emotional reaction. And also, you know, the fact that when we briefly touched on it later in the episode, you were like, yeah, I give more money to beggars that, that are... Uh... Oh, I don't, I don't actually do that. Okay, well, you said that, like, in theory, you would give more money to 
uh, black people panhandling than white people because I don't know. No, sorry. I was what I was trying to do there was paint an analogy of reverse racism, where like, oh, yeah, if, yeah. if someone's going to try and call me a racist because I'm extra nice to a certain race, then then you know you're totally ruining the word. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't conduct any of those behaviors or anything. But I don't think that is ruining the word because like that's kind of what I'm doing when I'm saying if you're being extra nice to a black defendant, that is racist. So with with the analogy like uh, of giving more money to to non-white homeless people or something yeah um, that that again wasn't something i do that was something I, I painted as an example of when people talk about racism they usually mean you know people being mean to to, to minority groups right right um, yeah. and i'm saying well are you gonna say are these same people who say that gonna say that it's racist if i do the opposite and they certainly won't other people will you know it's it like <laughs> and, I, and i think that's i think that's fine and legitimate you know that, that's part of why maybe it would make sense to have that that conversation in taboo the word racism because in in one sense you're absolutely just privileging your disposition or your actions towards one group of per, group group of people based on superficial characteristics, right? Right, and it means there's you're taking away resources, not taking away. I mean, it's so dumb to even give money to beggars. But like, if you had some budget to give to beggars and you gave more to black people, that is on net causing white people to have less money, right? Or white beggars. Well, <laughs> which again, don't give any money to beggars, anyone ever, please. I mean, it, it's a tough spot. So I, I usually, if, if I do have, I ha almost never have cash and I almost never drive anymore, but like I do tend to give out money if I have it on me uh, when it's like actually snowing outside. You mm. know, let's make sure you get enough money to get, you know, a, a bus ticket to the homeless shelter or something, right? Um, oh, wow. I mean, in theory, that might be dangerous because it incentivizes people to go out and beg when it's snowing more and therefore putting them in, in more bad con weather conditions. Yeah, it puts me in a tough spot though. Like, I mean, actually this, this, not not to get us too far off the rails, but that there's actually a common rejoinder against any charitable giving whatsoever. You know, it oh well, if we give money to the poor developing nations, they're gonna they're not gonna be incentivized to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. They're gonna just stay lenient and you know because then we'll, we'll keep feeding them and, and housing them or something. Yeah, this isn't an argument I think you're making, but this is one I've actually heard before, and it's not clear if the people who say that about I think what they're just trying to do is just justify their reluctance towards giving anything to charity because mm -hmm. they they've clearly never been in the situation where they've ever had to ask for money you know no one no one likes doing that no one likes being unable to take care of themselves right it's it's not a situation you would maintain just because it's cushy it's not cushy i i think it's the same situation as what we were talking about earlier where if you don't have the laws it incentivizes more people to become bullies or to become criminals yeah no i i, I hear what you're saying i i i guess it depends on how how much we how how well we think being homeless pays but uh <laughs> But as far as um, you know, my, my emotional reaction in the room, you're right. I wouldn't have had this. I mean, and I'm, I'm not trying to like say you're racist because racist nowadays just means, you know, you're a bad person. And it sounds like I'm saying you're a bad person. And I really want to not say that at all because I know you and I know you are an amazing person and you don't have any racism in you at all. So like it is nice. it is an action of racial preference <laughs> <laughs> or something. It was, I don't know. It was an emotion of, of racial preference. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and I can't control that, uh, right? You know, that that's why you know I'm I'm and that's why I'm fine copying to it. You know, it it's and I don't want anyone to ever say that I said Stephen was racist because <laughs> I would not say that about Stephen. You are awesome. I, I appreciate it, and like you said, only that's why I like you know tabooing the word just because it because yeah. it's synonymous with bad person, and that, that that's the kind of people I was arguing with in, in the hypothetical of like, well, what if I give more money to to non white homeless people? Is that right, right, bad right. person behavior? Well, they'll be like, well, no, that's what you're supposed to do. And it's like, well, then how the hell? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, th these are the people I was imagining arguing with. Um, gotcha. But yeah. Okay. So, you know, if, um, 
it, it's the I think it's the exact same way that like if the defendant was a twenty two year old liberal arts major uh, woman mm-hmm. and it was all the same crimes, I would have been surprised, mm-hmm. right? Because it violated my priors and it, so so harshly, and yeah. out it and I I don't know if uh, I, I would have to spend some time thinking how that would go into my you know cons- assuming all the evidence was the same, I'd probably come to the same conclusions, right? Yeah. I, I think it was just, you know, my my emotional reaction upon realizing what the situation was, was that was like, oh, man, I just I don't want, you know, like you said, per- per- perpetuate the stereotypes, perpetuate the bad system, but also like the system in the, in the only sense that it's not bad exists to save the save the save society from people who are doing stuff like this. Uh, yeah. So no, I totally I totally agree there. But like, it, it, again, if the defendant was a was a well to do, you know, mid 20s liberal arts major and uh the judge lists off the charges that she did i would, I would be like whoa <laughs> what the fuck no no fucking way i'm i'm eager yeah. now to see what the evidence is because that is surprising um yeah. i don't think that's that is that's sexist in the same way that my emotional reaction i think was racist right and which is to say we should find better words for it um okay do, do you think the does that analogy land yeah it does I, I, granted the the implications are different and one i'm like I'm feeling bad that this guy, you know, might be guilty and I'm going to, there's going to be another black person in jail and I'm going to have helped make that happen or whatever. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's, it's like surprised that you're telling me this, this, you know, this little white girl shot up a house, like, um, yeah. and, and, and incredulity, which is, you know, it's not the same thing as like the emotional reluctance. It's a reaction based on who the, who the person was. Yeah. But no, don't worry. I, I didn't take any of, uh, your, your questions like I, I didn't think you're calling me a bad person or anything like that it, i think what you were was confused or maybe not not even confused just wondering if like hey i wonder if steven is falling into this very like all too common trap um yeah and it would just be really easy for me to say no um actually well you know to just blanketly say no without thinking about it but now that i have for a whole second i don't think i did because we thought we found him guilty yeah you yeah. know it if I take it so far as to as to nullify the jury over it and say I refuse to put another black person in jail, I don't care, you know, yeah, then then that's that, obviously blatant. Yeah, that that's kind of way too far, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, look, none of us might be happy that we're here, but like this this person we we've all decided as as a group is is guilty. Like, yeah. we we can't just say is like you used. I can't. I you know the fact that someone said it blows my mind, but I believe it. Because mm-hmm. when you talked about when you were on on, on that uh that attempted murder uh, jury, and she's oh, yeah. like, "Oh, murder is just such a heavy word." And it's like, "It's the word is for this." <laughs> yeah, he stabbed like... the guy in the in the neck, not even like in the leg. Yeah, you know, if, if he took a whatever whatever it was, he stabbed him with and stabbed him in the leg or maybe the torso. Even you know, you could be like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, he wasn't trying to kill him." The neck, though, that's you only go there <laughs> if you're trying to kill somebody. You know, body, uh, uh, if, if you get, get stabbed him in the torso, it'd be like, you know, self-defense or impulse or, you know, biggest target or whatever. But the next is a smaller target. It's harder to hit. And it's full of all the squishy bits that, that you die when you when, when yeah. they get hurt, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. It's like, so if she if she refused to vote guilty because she was like, oh, murder is such a gross word, that would have been, mm-hmm. been pure madness. Yeah. One of the things I think about sometimes is like, what would I want if I was in a certain situation? And I was just thinking like, if I was innocent and in a courtroom for an attempted murder charge like that, would I be like thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm white here. Or would I be thinking, man, I really wish I was black at this point so I could get a little extra leniency from the jury. I, I guess 
I hope the jury is racist in my in <laughs> in my favor, regardless of which uh, which which skin color I am. I I don't have them in front of me, but I know these these data exist. Uh, you can just Google conviction rates for different races, uh, yeah, even for for the same crimes. And yeah, it could just be that. And and what I anticipate is that conviction rates are higher for for non-white people than they are for white people. In which case, you would, you would hope you'd, you'd probably be sitting there thinking, kind of guiltily glad that I was white. Because like, hey, I'm innocent. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm innocent. And uh, the jury's going to have an easier time believing that because I'm white, right? I feel like I might feel that way. But I could be wrong. But it, it, what, so my, what my statement there predicts is that if we look at conviction rates, uh, but they're higher for non-whites than they are for whites, that would mean that the, you know, unless the evidence just happens to always be better in those cases, uh, mm-hmm. which it probably isn't, we can just assume the evidence is going to be of roughly equal caliber all the time then it, it means that juries are in fact biased the other way. It may not necessarily mean that. If conviction rates are lower for one group, it may be that prosecutors go after more marginal cases for that group. And so they're more likely to be ones that like it's on the fence whether the guy's guilty or not. And so they get less convictions because of that. Oh, sure. I meant uh, convictions for the same charges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it's a murder charge, right? And uh, the prosecution always goes after all cases where they're 100% sure that there was a murder and that or that this guy was the murderer when they're 70% sure that someone was a murderer they'll go after the cases you know 80% of the time if they're from one demographic and 60% of the time if they're from another demographic Hmm. and therefore the ones where they go after them 80% of the time you're going to get more innocent people up on the uh up on the stand and therefore more exonerations because the case just wasn't as good because they were going after people that weren't as um, the case wasn't as tight. I can. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I can totally imagine that universe. I don't think we live in that one. Um, <laughs> right. But, but I'm not, uh, that's not putting, I'm not, I'm not meaning that like as a dig or anything, but I, I see what you're saying. And that, that yeah. could totally, yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, right. It's, uh, it's just not how. You know, and also at that point we were using a hypothetical universe where the jury is supposedly right, you know, basically all the time. Man, I, that's the, I don't know, the hang up about it too is like, I sure hope the juries are right all the time. No. I can't imagine I mean, the, the horror. Of we know for going, a fact they aren't. I know, but like, well, that's true, right? But I, I guess I would like to think that any jury that had half the people that I served with, you know, or people like them on it, like they, you know, they all seemed to care, you know, wanted to get to the bottom of stuff. It's distinctly plausible to me that if this was 50 years ago or less even, you know, you get a room full of, of jurors and they're like, I want to get out of here. You know, fuck it. He did it. Whatever. We're all racist pricks. Let's just call it a day, right? Mm-hmm. That that sounds distinctly plausible. I hope I hope it's better now. You know, yeah. the, the crack epidemic in the '80s that was all, largely also a racist driven game. Like, you know, so think it's not like racism was solved yet. Uh, racism wasn't solved until like you know. It was about the '90s. That's why the '90s is the best decade. That's what I was gonna say. Is, you know, it, Sesame Street and you know, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And, you know, that that's what solved it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was all the '90s. That all the message of you know everyone's everyone's equal. It was the kids growing up in the '70s and '80s that watched that that grew up into adults in the '90s, and that's why the '90s are the best. Right. This all has the yeah. planet-sized asterisk next to it that says you know this is obviously a bit of sarcasm. So don't <laughs> don't pretend like we're being 100% sincere there. Um, yes. Aside for the part where the 90s were the best decade. I mean, they were a good decade to grow up in. I'd hate to live there now. The 90s and the early 2000s, I guess. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't like to live there now, though. Really? I don't know. I mean, despite the internet's fallbacks, it's pretty nice. Yeah, but the internet was around in the late 90s. 
In fact, I think the internet was much better in the late 90s. You know what? Now I'm sounding like an old man shaking his fist at the clouds. So <laughs> we should cut this episode short before I sound too old. You know what was worse, though? Movies and TV. Mm. Definitely true. Although there was some the really Matrix good stuff came out in '99, so checkmate atheists. What came out in '99? The Matrix. Oh, that's true. And I mean, you know, Terminator came out in the mid '80s. You know, like a lot of perfect, perfect movies came out back then. But like, you weren't overwhelmed with like the fifty, you know, different awesome TV shows you could be watching right now because there were only like two. Yeah, TV was kind of shit back then. Well, that's because it was, it was, you know, there was only so much time in the day to air stuff. Yep, and it all had to be episodic. You couldn't count on anyone having seen any previous episodes, so right. you couldn't have these long-continued storylines usually. Yeah, now, you know, with with uh, being able to binge a whole season when it comes out on Netflix or whatever, changes the game. Yeah, now basically a season is one very long movie. <laughs> yeah, which has its def- definite cons. Yeah, like when people try to make a 10-hour movie when it should really only be a two-hour movie. Yeah, I, I feel that. I feel like the uh, mm. um, what, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that would have made a good movie. Mm-hmm. They, they could have oh, was that a TV series? Believe it or not. And I think it was actually 10 episodes. Oh, man. In my, in my mind, it was six. I remember checking. And I, I, know, I know it's not six. It was lo- a lot longer than it needed to be. But I think it was, I think I did learn after the fact that like the terrorist group in that allegedly, or in the initial right, like uh, made some bio virus, you know, bioterrorist uh, weaponized virus. Oh, right. And then COVID happened. Right. And then, then it aired during the plague. And so they, they like kind of did some you know, post-production witch- witchcraft to make them that they, they basically had no real downside to them. You know, is that not the stupidest shit in the world? Like you made something accidentally that's completely 100% perfectly timely with current events and you're going to change it so that it's not. It's hard to say, you know, remember how scary things were in the, in the early months of COVID? Like where you know, people were wiping their groceries down and stuff like people had no idea what the hell was happening. Death rates yeah. weren't really, weren't really, uh, trustworthy yet. yes and yes yeah so i get why they weren't like wanting to lean into that as as a disney corporation tv show to fucking cowards absolute craven cowards it might it would probably would have been a better show that's it i still think it would make, i still think it would have made a better movie yeah all right well that's that's a bit far afield but if you have any unresolved uh like back of your mind like ah he didn't quite hit this i'm happy to answer any questions i can think you can think of no no that that was all of it it was just you know the um the is it ageist and is it racist? <laughs> oh yeah, the 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 ageist thing we didn't hit on. I don't know if there's much. I don't have much more to say there other than like. Yeah, no, we we talked about it. It was basically the qualities, the quality adjusted life years seems unfair. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I think this is just apparent to if I were to ask you and anyone else, like, if all right, I'm gonna we're gonna you're gonna have to lose a decade. Which decade do you yeah. want it to be? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I probably your last I, one. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that when they first wrote the sentencing guidelines, they figured most people convicted of these crimes are going to be in their 20s or 30s. And they took that into account. So I guess it would it would just be fair to say, in general, you think that the sentencing guidelines are way too harsh. I mean, I think so. I and This is maybe just a broader point and another, another good point to raise in front of our, uh, you know, lawyer friend. But like, if you can't learn the lesson in 10 years, you're not going to learn it in 35 years. You know, honestly, I think some of the best punishments are just corporal punishments. Like, honestly, bring back whipping and flogging and shit. And maybe for something really bad, like an actual committed murder, cutting someone's hand off. It just I think that I think that would probably I think that would actually be better in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, You know, then you could continue providing for your family, you know, with your remaining hand, you know, whatever it is, you know, you'll be less of a danger to people because you're uh, harder to murder with just one hand. Yeah. 
And, you know, yeah. if you leave even murderers out of it, like if, if the crime for, for drunk driving was like, all right, we're going to we're going to lash you once. It's going to rip your skin. Uh, mm-hmm. You'll be bleeding a lot. And uh, mm-hmm. next time you'll get two or next next time you'll get five, you know, whatever it is, you know, goes up intensely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I imagine a lot of people wouldn't get pulled over for a second drunk driving infraction after having this, you know, disfiguring <laughs> and painful scar. So but there's probably a reason we moved away from that as a society. Maybe it is a sign of progress that we don't do that. But. Then it leads to these ridiculous situations where it's like it, it doesn't have to be an attempted murder thing. It could be just something that is, you know, it's like there are people serving, you know, well, I was going to use the drug uh, sentencing, but neither of us would say that that's OK. But what's an actual crime? You know, like whatever armed robbery, you know, mm-hmm. no one got hurt. You were desperate. You're an asshole. Whatever your problem was. Right. If you're if you're in prison for 15 years for that, did you really learn a lesson that you wouldn't have learned in three or four or five Maybe I'm too generous to people, but I think, no, there's no way that like you're either you're going to get it or you're not. I, I'm also just, you know, facing, you know, the specter of death hanging over the entire world right now. The the idea of just someone's life being thrown away that way just mm. devastates me again. In, in this case, this person was acting in, in such a way that they disregarded that they might have actually killed or, or maimed people uh, yeah. or, or that, that he might have. Right. So it's like. If anyone belongs in prison, it's him. Uh, yeah. if, if his life, if 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 a life needs to be needs to be destroyed because of this, it's the person who who committed the crime, right? So it's just a shaky, sad thing of like our current state of mind reading technology, right? <laughs> if we could just really yeah. tell when someone was sorry, that that sure would be nice. All right. Well, I appreciate digging into that. All right, we're recording this after we finished recording with Charlie just uh, mere moments ago for for listeners, but hours ago for us. I want. I meant to mention because she reached out and said that the episode that we did talking about Eric Hole's shitty essay on why I'm not an effective altruist, uh, she said that was one of her favorites in a long time. Oh wow! Okay. And uh, I liked hearing that because uh, I enjoyed talking about it. And I think it was also just like it was a lot less esoteric than some of our conversations. Um, That's a good point. But I was listening to uh, Zvi was on the same podcast actually. Econ Talk did a great job. I thought he was he was uh, coherent and uh, really good. Like I'd, I'd never heard him on a show before, and some people some people don't translate well from the page to the you know to the microphone. Yeah, yeah, it's a different skill. Yeah, but Russ, the host, said that you know because they were talking about AI, and he's like, I wasn't actually spooked the least bit about AI until I read Eric Hole's essay on it. Oh, and I was like, okay, now I got to go find out what this guy said about it because you know, I maybe because I'm uncharitable, but I assumed that he had such a stupid take on effective altruism that I'm like, I bet this guy you know also has a dumb take on AI. Uh, turns out, no, it's. Mm-hmm. it's Perfectly thoughtful and coherent. And I just wanted to bring that up as a life lesson to uh, be careful when generalizing, uh, even on assumptions that, you know, you feel are safe. Excellent. Where, where is the essay that he wrote? I will uh, send you the link. Um, what I did actually was I just uh, went to, he did an episode, another episode on Econ Talk with, uh, about the subject. Um, okay. But, you know, he's making a lot of the, like, a lot of good points. He's making them succinctly and, and with a uh, knowledgeable uh, background. A point that isn't made often enough that uh, that he put nicely was that simulated intelligence and intelligence are the same when we're talking about how dangerous it is. It doesn't matter if ChatGPT is actually smart or if it just seems smart. This this is not a distinction that has a difference when it comes to how, how dangerous this thing is. Um, yeah. So you know, I, you know, I think he I think he made a really bad argument about effective altruism, but he made a, he's making good arguments about AI, and I just I if I'm gonna go out of my way to, to you know, shit on this guy. I might as well go on my way to uh, say something nice about him. So excellent. That's very cool. All right. Perfectly balanced as all things should be. Hell yes. 
All right. Well, thank you for spending so much time with me today on on the mic. You bet, man. This is great. Thanks for hanging out. And thanks for accommodating. Okay. Uh, let's get into the three things we have to touch on to make this a podcast. Uh, real quick, this was originally some feedback that I had to Steve and I just wanted to discuss. And then also a bass blast that went awry and became very long. And all of this, I decided just to turn it into an episode because it, there was so much. It was too much. Uh, so we have to do three things. One of them is talking about the Guild of the Rose. Oh, snap. How do we forget to do that? Uh, because we didn't actually have an episode. This was all supposed to be just bonus content. And it all went awry. And it has been recorded across the period of like a month. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, so this is it's been a while. It has. Yes. So we have to thank the Guild of the Rose for their patronage. As always, we are not just thanking them for their patronage, because even though we do appreciate that, we also like legit believe in their mission and think that this is going to make the world a better place, which is why we are partnering with them. Stephen, what do they do? They actually train applied rationality. Um, Hell yeah. If if whether your goal is to... Um, I mean, I remember from the beta, like the, the course that David Youssef taught on fashion stuck with mm. me forever. I'm still following oh, the things I learned. Uh, I'm not oh, nearly as awesome. fashionable as people in the pictures from like the lectures, but uh, <laughs> some of the some of the core lessons stuck with me. You know, it, it's it's a it's a refined. It, there's you know, there's talking the sequences of the rationalist dojos, right? This is that mm -hmm. minus yeah. the uh, the bamboo flooring. Damn it! I really like the bamboo flooring. It's very aesthetic. Yeah. Well, once once they get a physical space. So these, these, um, yeah, they, they're helping all rationalists everywhere level up their game. And we would absolutely recommend checking them out at the very least, which you can do at guildoftherose.org or through the link in our show notes. Yeah. And if you're like me and you don't know the difference between uh, like mid journey and stable diffusion, I know Dolly because that's the only one I've worked with, but they've got everyone there is a, an expert or a practitioner in some flavor or another of one of the emerging technologies of AI and this is the future. This is, you got to get on board. So um, yeah. I can't advocate it enough. Absolutely. All right. Uh, moving on to a feedback. This is from D David Guir, I think is how you pronounce it. It has an R in it, but it's one of those R's that isn't pronounced like an R. Gruyere, like R the cheese, right? And maybe. Maybe. And R is the most abused lang uh, letter in most languages, I swear. When we were talking about could you be argued into believing that you weren't um, – you know, talking to aliens that replaced your your family. Oh yeah, and and I kept thinking, no, no. When you're really sure of something, you're really sure of it. And you were saying like, no, I, th I think that yeah, I could be talked into it. His that thing happened to his dad. Uh, it's called post operative delirium, and apparently it just happens to people sometimes. He was like that for six hours, and the doctors were like, yeah, whatever, that happens sometimes. It passes. Just don't talk to him. It's gonna attack. It's gonna upset you. It's gonna upset him. And in six hours, it's over. So you don't got to worry about it. And yet he talked to his dad anyway. He said, I walked him through the logic and reminded him of Occam's razor. He was silent for half an hour. And then he explained that he had been convinced. He really was at the hospital and no one was there to kill him. But his brain was still actively interpreting everything that way. So, yeah, he, he was able it says he was able to go exist somewhere outside of what his brain was screaming at him by sheer logic, proving to him that it didn't make sense. So I guess point to the humans for being awesome and rational yeah that is so awesome and it, it I, I remember i saw that on discord and uh david uh greer sorry for butchering your last name you're the the badass who did our music hell uh, yes i recognize the name um every time you hear the, our intro music that is him yeah it gives me hope that and it sounds like you know the fact that you reminded your dad of occam's razor tells me that he knew what it was so there's like a level of baseline reasonableness there so it gives me hope that i hope i, I think 
not not to pat myself on the back, but I think I have a baseline of reasonableness that would make me would make it possible to to have someone help me believe that my that I'm under some sort of, you know, mental hallucination, right? Yeah. I hope so too. I think this is an important thing if we ever are to try to integrate ra- post-rationalism and rationalism and like have, I don't know, our own sort of rituals to to bind us together as a community, it'd be incredibly good and important to have a thing in our minds that said, you know, remember this, <laughs> if you feel anything spooky and weird about this, it's not real. It's just like you're doing acid. You're not actually touching God. <laughs> I mean, we could, it could be incorporating the post-rationalists or, um, or just technology. I mean, you, so you remember the game Soma. Yeah. There was a, a really, um, I mean, I guess it was adequate, but Soma did it way better. Uh, adequate movie with Keanu Reeves. That was the exact same. Well, basically the same premise minus space. Okay. And uh, what was the movie called? Was that it? God. Okay. Yes. <laughs> what? It, it was called Replicas. Uh, the reason okay. I was surprised is because the movie, I think, came out in 2017. Huh. And it felt like it came out in 2005. So <laughs> That crappy of a movie, huh? I mean, like the, the CGI was so low budget. Um, yeah. but, but anyway, the, one of the things that they're trying to do there, during the movie is he's trying to like upload people to these robot bodies and they keep freaking out because their sensorium isn't the same, right? Mm. And then they, I think, eventually like just have to turn them off or they kill themselves or something, I forget. But I think it's possible that with the right kind of mental preparation, you and I could walk into a, a you know, enjoy your new robot, your shiny new, new robot body factory and come out of it just as, you know, delirious and freaked out as everyone else is. But with the understanding that, okay, I knew I was supposed to feel weird. I had no idea I'd feel like this, but how could I have anticipated this? And kind of just like push through that, that madness. Yeah. And thanks yeah. for the anecdote, David. Uh, it's, like I said, a great data point and fills me with hope. So Yeah. All righty. Let's get on to the less wrong posts. Let's do it. Okay. The first one is replace the symbol with the substance. So this to, continues- to, to remind us uh, and me this, because it was like, what, four or six weeks ago that we sat down to talk about the last one. It was where we finally did the uh, taboo, uh, rationalist taboo yes. post. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're, we're this is following up from that. It is. And this one, it feels like, even though the taboo your words is what everyone remembers, it feels like almost this is the one that he was writing as the climax, right? This has the the more of the large soaring language that, that this is the point kind of words. But, uh, you well, know, and, and it, it does the, like, like a good comedy sketch or a good movie. It has all the callbacks. Yes, you know, exactly. Yeah. As I said, here, here, here and here. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. With links. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, he he. Recalls the previous post with the the baseball tabooing the words, says, are those bases? No, they're fixed points on a game field that players try to run to as quickly as possible because of their safety within the game's artificial rules, which is, I don't know, I, I just thought that was a cool reminder of where we're at, especially for you and me who've had a long break between these posts. Uh, the thing coming after this is that the chief obstacle to performing an original seeing is that your mind already has a nice, neat summary a nice little easy-to-use concept handle, like the word baseball or bat or base. It takes an effort to stop your mind from sliding down the familiar path, the easy path, the path of least resistance, where the small featureless word rushes in and obliterates the details you're trying to see. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. And I mean, it's so easy to say, but it's so hard to do. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of the last time I've done this. And, you know, we kind of did this talking a bit about applying the Bleg and Rube categorization uh, fallacy to some some modern mistakes you know mm-hmm. so it it's not entirely dissimilar to that 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, very much exactly that, actually. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, he points out that playing the game of Taboo, being able to describe without using the standard pointer slash label slash handle, is one of the fundamental rationalist capacities. Which makes me think, um, should we add the game of Taboo to, like, our meetups toolkit or something? Like, nobody ever plays the games there because we're all there to socialize, but it feels like that might be a good idea to have or maybe to stock on the shelf of whatever rationalist church gets invented, if that ever happens. I'll, uh, I'll buy a copy. It could just be a fun thing to play for fun. And uh, if if we get, you know, lulls at meetups or something, could be a, a conversation starter. Yeah, I think, you know, things like that to just stretch your rationality muscles if you haven't used them in a while. Not a bad idea to bust it out. Maybe once every few months, play a game. It, it might put that. us better in the habit of like actually remembering to do it when we're, you know, when we need to. Exactly. Yeah, it seems it seems like once every few months, I'm like, man, we should have tabooed this this word 30 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Maybe we can get that time down to five. Yes. I pulled this out because um, he rips on schooling. So my personal hobby horse of mine, he says, why are you going to school to get an <laughs> education ending in a degree? Blank out the forbidden words and all their obvious synonyms. Visualize the actual details. And you're much more likely to notice that school currently seems to consist of sitting next to bored teenagers listening to material you already know. That a degree is a piece of paper with some writing on it. And that education is forgetting the material as soon as you're tested on it <laughs> zing yeah it's um i mean he's it not seems wrong. extremely uncharitable but yeah like it's, and so i think it's maybe because we're so removed from this already you know having had the uh years of hansonian thinking drilled into our brains but it's just clear that that's not the point of school right right but if you sit down and you look at what you're doing doesn't that basically fit Oh yeah, no, no. This, that, this is exactly what you are doing, uh, yeah. but that's because the purpose of school isn't to go get an education, right? Yeah, yeah. the The point is to go get domesticated, so you'll be a good desk monkey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. sitting at desks for long periods of time is not our natural habitat, but we can be trained into it. Yeah. And he brings this back to when he said that, like, this small featureless word rushes in to obliterate the details. He he uses this as an example. He says, you want to learn, so you need an education. And then as long as you're doing – as long as you're getting anything that matches against the category education, you may not notice whether you're learning or not. What's really fun – if you had a thought, I'll let you finish that. No, Sorry. go ahead. I, I remember reading these posts when I was in my early 20s. Sounds about right. And – that was at the time where I had like I got an associate's degree from the um, community college, and because you know that doesn't really do anything, I went on to um, I, I took a few few months off, and then was wondering like, man, what do I do? I trying you know trying to do the thing that everyone does, figure out what to do with their lives, and I was like, oh, yeah. I can go back to school because that's a good answer to the question, what are you doing with your life, right? Oh, I'm going to school, <laughs> yeah. right? And everyone's like, oh, very good, very good. And the thing is, like, I knew I was bullshitting myself into it. Like I, I think I, I never actually even bullshitted myself. Like it was, it was all like I knew it was a facade when I was doing it, yeah. and then I was reading this, and I'm like, oh, I'm not the only one who's, you know, like it. Th this isn't uh, obviously I'm not the first person to to pull that move intentionally, but it's just it was funny having it like directly called out in mm -hmm. a in a kind of sideways, you know, passerby context. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I mean, I don't blame people for it. It's legit scary to go out and join the real world. Going and getting an education seems like a, a 
good thing to do, safe thing to do. It's just, uh, you know, we should celebrate the people who've, who've mustered up the courage to not do that. Well, and it's, it's also like it, it opens doors in the past that now it just doesn't. Yeah. You know, it, you, people used to see, oh, you, you went to school. So like that means not that you know anything. That's not what we're looking for, but it means that you can go to school. Um, yes. They, they make it, you know, like an advanced version of going to primary school. So that means that you'll be an extra good desk monkey. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so it was important to signal that in the past. And now, now I think it's easier than ever to just get credentialed through alternative means that are actually teaching you how to do the thing you want to do for your job. Yeah. And then you can just skip the whole four year. I think it was, uh, I forget in what context, but I, I believe it was Matt Freeman that I heard point out just incredulously, like, what are the odds just that it would take the same amount of time to learn the basics of physics and art? Right. You know, why does an engineering degree take as long to get as a, uh, a physical education degree? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. why why is it four years for all of these? How, how could that possibly be the case? <laughs> it's clear <laughs> they're not just teaching you this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, skip all that and, and uh, get your knowledge the, the fast way. I mean, learning on the job, if you can do it, uh, I mean, by if you can do it, I mean, it's hard to get hired uh, without a degree. But if you can do it, learning on the job is so much faster and you retain the shit that you learn. Yeah. Like you learn the stuff that you actually need. Actually, I, and this is true of my job and, and every one I've talked to about their job, you always learn on the job. Like, you know, yeah. no, nothing teaches you how to do your work better than doing it. And yeah. then there's this really cool, like actual stick and carrot of like a paycheck versus being fired. So <laughs> right. that, that, that's a lot scary. That's a lot more um, incentivizing than an A or an, or an or a D. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. So learning on the job is tight. You actually learn. Uh, you do. Uh, he points out that to categorize is to throw away information. You want to use categories to throw away irrelevant information, to sift gold from dust. But often the standard categorization ends up throwing out relevant information too. So that's good and bad things about having categories, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's the nice shorthand. It's the, it's the problem of having, you know, label handles for concepts, you know? Yeah. So yeah, this is the thing about categorization, throwing out relevant information. He then goes on to point out that, in fact, uh, saying play taboo is is a great example of that. By saying, uh, if you just think play taboo to force original seeing, you'll start thinking that anything that counts as playing taboo must count as original seeing. Shit. The ra- <laughs> this is what I was posing earlier. Proposing earlier. <laughs> yep. The rationalist version isn't a game, which means that you can't win by trying to be clever and stretching the rules. And that was when I said, ah, damn it, maybe maybe buying a copy of Taboo won't be that useful. I still think it would be useful, though, to keep the, the muscles limber. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that what he's saying is valid in that it's, you know, hardly the same thing as doing this for real. But just like, you know, practicing a kata or sparring isn't real fighting. It It helps prepare you for it. Yeah. And so I, I do think that, you know, as long as we're not pretending we're, you know, doing the real deal, it's just like um, in Matt's decision theory course that you can uh, take on the Guild of the Rose. He talks about, uh, you, you know, training the habit of making predictions and assigning probabilities as you know, do, do it with dumb things. You know, mm-hmm. he, he tries to like just guess the weight of the world's biggest whale or something. Hmm. And then you see the, th- the thought, the, you know, he, he walks through all the steps and, and uh, he's got this really cool tool that he links to in the videos. But, you know, there's no illusion that this is an important decision, you know? Yeah. Like you, if you need if you need you really need to know that you look it up. But that's not the yeah. point. Right. The point is here to train and calibrate. Right. So, yeah, we can, still, is, we can still do that with the game. Yeah. And that is a thing that you can do if you join the Guild of the Rose as well. Exactly. <laughs> OK, so purpose is lost whenever the substance is displaced by the symbol. 
And then he says a whole bunch of things which uh, boil down to replace the word with the meaning, but including the one that I want to pull out, replace the property with the membership test, which I found really interesting because I hadn't quite considered doing that before, but I like I like that phrasing of it. Go ahead and dig into it. Like uh, the property of, I don't know. Um, Let, let's talk about uh, birds or humans. Okay, yeah, birds. Um, is that a bird? Like... Um, replace that with is that a winged creature that flies see that what's, what's great about it is because when you said is that a bird i start immediately picturing examples that you know people wouldn't think of i'm like thinking of the uh whatever the turkey by the supermarket for thanksgiving right mm, yeah, is that yeah. a bird like mm -hmm. i guess right but is it a winged flying creature hell no right yeah yeah it's yeah. perfect yeah Okay, and he says, and then, this is a good place to end, and then there's the most important word of all to taboo. I've often warned that you should be careful not to overuse it, or even avoid the concept in certain cases. Now you know the real reason why. It's not a bad subject to think about, but your true understanding is measured by your ability to describe what you're doing and why without using that word or any of its synonyms. And there's several links in the words here that link back to things, posts, but they're basically saying, stop using the word rationality. You're using it as a crutch. So mm -hmm. yeah, the, 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 the most important word of all to taboo is rational. Don't say that something is rational or irrational. Describe what you're doing and why instead. Hmm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretending to be, you know, like challenging of that, but I'm not like it's, it's useful when, I guess when is it ever useful to say like, well, this is the rational thing to do, like outside of the very specific context of like knowing that you're talking to other economists or decision theorists and you're like talking about whether or not to invest in GameStop, right? Yeah. Like if you're if you're going to justify a decision by saying, well, that was rational, it's you're better off just not saying you're better off just pointing out why you actually made the decision. Yeah. I, I mean, it feels more like a shorthand of saying the reasons for that decision are legible to me. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, and so I, I guess, again, you know, to somebody who knows who, who would share that handle with it, it's, it's valuable. But like um, I was at a work retreat last week. I was in Detroit all week and I got to meet my coworkers, which is fun. I got to go to the office for the first time in like years. Um, hmm. And uh, they put us up at a casino hotel. So every night after work, we'd go to the casino and, and get, you know, blasted and uh, burn some cash. And okay. I learned how to play craps. Uh, this is going somewhere, I swear. Uh, there's, okay. there's all kinds of nuances and, and dumb, dumb things to it. But the basic gist is that you put money down and someone whose job it is to throw the dice like in the movies, they they roll dice until it lands on not seven, which it usually does. And then they put the button on that. And you're basically just betting that it's going to land on that again before it lands on seven. OK. The thing is, when you throw two dice, seven is the most likely outcome. One sixth of dice throws of throwing two dice land on seven. OK. And none of the other numbers have that combination that gets them that high. So it's like this game is just so obviously rigged. <laughs> and yet here people yeah. are like having fun and, you know, whatever. And it's just like, I'm just watching money burn away. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was the the smart thing to do. The the legible decision was to say, you know, what? cut my losses. I learned how to play the game. This is not a winnable game. I'm out. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's only if your objective is to win money. If your objective is to, like, burn money with friends to get a sense of shared camaraderie, then maybe it is rational to do that. Yeah. The cool thing is you can stand, stand next to your friends and kind of cheer them on and stuff. Uh, okay. So, you know, the hanging out part was available without it. It's not like uh, 
whatever. You could never do that like at a Texas Hold'em table or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> you can't be looking over someone's shoulder and be like, oh, that's a great ace that you just drew. Right. Yeah, because there's no cheating really in craps, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I got, you know, there was funny things that happened about that, but that's more digging into stuff that is not why we're here. We're going to move on to fallacies of compression. All right. Fallacies of com- compression. The only 100% accurate <laughs> map of California is California. But he parlays that into the map is not the territory, but you can't fold up the territory and put it into your glove compartment. I, I, that phrase has always stuck with me. I don't know if he's used it, you know, in conversations and podcasts or something, or if it's just one that always stuck with me, but it, it, it illustrates the exact picture perfectly. And it, it, mm. and it makes the, uh, the map territory language uh it illustrates why that's so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. He expands on this. He says, reality is very large. Just the part we can see is billions of light years across. But your map of reality is written on a few pounds of neurons folded up to fit inside your skull. So uh, our map is probably going to be a bit lossy, much like the map of California is a bit lossy. Yeah, we can't we can't capture each individual strand of grass on a map of California. Nope. We certainly need to take a lot of shortcuts and rounding offing in our maps of the uh of the universe and our place within it because otherwise what what, what do you could do yeah (laughs) if if you're trying to chart how to get from los angeles to san diego uh and your only way to do that is to walk because you know you don't have a map like that that would kind of ruin the point if you're trying to plot the best route right yeah Uh, this this metaphor is getting tortured but i i love nothing more than a tortured metaphor Uh, (laughs) well so where, where, um, where does the fallacy of compression come in so the the fallacy is that um, some things might be compressed more than you think they're compressed. Uh, he points out that a sufficiently young child or sufficiently ancient Greek philosopher would not know that there were such two distinct things as acoustic vibrations or auditory experiences. There would just be a single thing that happened when a tree fell, a single event called sound. To realize that there are two distinct events underlying one point on your map is an essentially scientific challenge. A big, difficult, scientific challenge. Uh, he talks about this for a bit and then later on says the obvious modern day illustration would be words like intelligence or consciousness. Mm-hmm. So they're compressing a whole bunch of stuff into a single word and uh, that is lossy and not a great idea. Yeah, uh, I actually, I like what he said here. Um, okay, let me read this last thing real fast because it rely, um, unless you want to say some more. Sorry. No, no, no go nuts. Okay, okay, because this next part is relevant. He says, where you see a single confusing thing with protein and self-contradictory attributes, it is a good guess that your map is cramming too much into one point. You need to pry it apart. Yeah, intelligence and consciousness. You know, I I, I made the, it doesn't count as a prediction because I probably remembered this in some part of my brain, but I've said over and over going through this, you know, the human use of words sequence that he didn't want to have debates with people about what intelligence meant, right? Hmm. Yeah. And it's like, no, like for, you know, like you, you, you proposed just saying, you know, use the word capabilities instead or whatever. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that's not bad, especially people are insisting on getting bogged down. But yeah, that th- he's just outright saying here, like, look, this is not this is not where the debate is. Uh, right. D- you know, arguing about what this word means. The thing that lets us go to Mars and live there where monkeys are still stuck in their forests. That thing. That's the thing that we're worried about. Yeah. You know, the thing that, that keeps the inside of our house the temperature we want it to be, you know, uh, everything I can see in the room except for the – actually, I can't even see the air. So – and the air itself actually is, uh, you know, pumped through an air filter through a furnace, right? So yeah. there's nothing around me that isn't the product of human intelligence. God damn. That's right? Good point. I guess like my skin and fingernails, right? But 
Um, well, it depends. Like my skin at this point is partially the the use of human intelligence as well because I spread stuff on it yeah. that makes it that makes it uh, regenerate faster. You, you make a good point. I, I use soap and lotion, and I file my fingernails. So uh, let us tell the people what we're going to be reading next time. Yeah, next time we've got categorizing has consequences and sneaking in connotations. Excellent. Cool. And we should point out in two episodes, it is going to be our 200th episode, uh, which is crazy. Um, but for that, we're probably going to – not probably. You want to just commit to it right now? Yes. For that, we are going to have a call-in show. Uh, we've done this twice before where we just set up live and anybody can not literally call in because – can't have our phone numbers but we'll set up a uh we'll set up a room on our discord server and uh then we can have unmute people selectively and talk with them for a little bit they can ask us questions or tell us how their rationality is going or whatever and uh we'll, we'll do that for a while and we'll put record it and put the thing up as a episode for the 200th but you know the main point of the 200th episode isn't to listen to the recording afterwards it's to participate if you can yeah. So, uh, yeah, we will be doing that in approximately one month, uh, slightly less than that. We will give you the exact time and date in our next episode. And we'll post it on Discord and stuff, too. Um, and, you know, if, if the time and date doesn't work because you're on the other side of the planet or you're otherwise committed, if you want to record something and, and email it in, uh, we can play that and listen oh. to it. Uh, oh, that's not a bad idea at all. No, okay. it'll just be, a, you know, fun hangout and a little thing like that. So we'll do the uh, video thing as well. Like we did uh, oh. with YouTube that time. Yes. We had some, didn't we have some issues with that? Like, cause the sync wasn't quite right and threw people off by having this off by a couple seconds. Yep. I don't know. I tell you what, if we okay. don't do YouTube, we'll do like, I'm sure you, sure Discord lets you stream video or something. You know, there, there's gotta be some way to have a real time conversation. We could probably Twitch it. Yeah. There you go. That's what all the kids are doing right. Twitching these days, right? Yeah. Twitching and TikToking at each other. It does mean a lot. It, it pays the bills around here. Um, we we do actually have some bills, and so it's it's nice to not have to pay them out of pocket. And uh, every little bit helps. And uh, it really does. Yeah, you know, share an episode, and write a review on. I think only iTunes takes reviews, um, or just you know, send in five stars, or you know, nothing less, please. But uh, yeah. yeah, and come come say hi on the Discord. I'm trying to get on there more often and and chat. I, there's a lot going on, which also you know you don't have to just chat with us. There's what hundreds of people on there that are eager to hang out, and uh, they're all really cool. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's quite quite the sprawling little community. It's a lot of fun. I, I would definitely recommend, you know, lurking for a few days at least before you jump in because that's how you get a feel for what it's okay to say and what the norms are. Yeah. And you'll find that, oh, I can say anything. People are great. So, yeah. All right. Which, which feels like a very post rat kind of thing to say, huh? Trying to stay somewhat illegible rather than having a list of rules that Harry is going to break. You know, I, I still don't quite, I think you have a better grasp on post rationality than I do. I, I'm planning on having another episode on rat versus post ratness in the near future. So stay tuned for that and we can figure out what the heck is going on here with these two possibly different, possibly not different groups. Yeah, we can say rat and post rat instead of versus because, you know, maybe maybe it's a cooperative effort. Yeah. Yeah. There's no adversarialness going on. No, no. Speaking of people who are very cooperative and helping other people like um, the people who, of, who are listening to this podcast. Great segue. Yes. Andre Myboroda. I think I know. Gotta hope I'm saying that right. Thank you for being our patron this week and for all the episodes that you have patronized. We uh, really appreciate all our patrons, but this week we are thanking you specifically because 
you deserve some recognition as a specific individual person that has helped us. Yeah. So thank you for that. Total badass. We appreciate it. Hope this was a fun listen and uh, hope to see you on the uh, 200th uh, episode, Colin. Heck yeah. All right. We'll see y'all in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Later.